people have been snickering since I put this on back there and walked up here. And I don't know what's so stinking funny. This is this is a nice suit. This is actually a uh, wait. Where is it? Isimo. Isimo. Say that. It just sounds fancy. Isimo. Now, <laughs> I told you y'all gonna get to laugh at me. Um, on a scale of one to ten, Janie and I were talking about this yesterday. I decided to, uh, as we were coming back from a gym meet in Arlington, I decided to preach this sermon to her and uh, get some comments. So I said, um, on a scale of one to ten. Where would you rate your fashion sense? And, and just to break it down and make it a little easier, if you're greater than a five, raise your hand. Ain't nobody going to raise their hand because Janie goes, well, I think maybe I'm a four. And I said, if, dude, if you're a four, I'm like negative 15 or something on the fashion thing because I'm thinking Janie's a seven or eight. The other day I came in and she was going to the gym because she works up there. And, uh, dude, she's decked out. I walked in. I said, baby. You look good. I said, what's the deal? You're going to the gym and it stinks in there. It smells like sweat, you know. And She goes, I'm just tired of looking like a slob. See, and, and I'm like, baby, that's my style <laughs> is looking like a slob. So uh, I didn't know. I guess she was saying she was tired of hanging out with me. So she was going to go hang out with a bunch of moms. Uh, but she looked good. Uh, now, so would, since nobody raised their hand for greater than a five, I'm assuming you're less than a five. Well, let's break it down further. How many of you maybe are a three or a four? Okay. We are all in the right place. Y'all have the right pastor if you're all down in those low numbers. Because, like, you know, one of the greatest compliments I get is you don't look like a pastor. I like that. Stealth pastor. Except now. Yeah, except now. Well, we're casual around here at, at New Life, you know. But one thing, see, I don't notice fashion stuff. I, Janie will start talking about what they were wearing. I'm like, I know they had clothes on, but I don't. Because, see, I'm, I am perceptive in one area. I noticed everybody here today has clothes on. If you'd walked in naked, I'd have noticed. I mean, okay, you understand that? So, even though we're casual... We all wore clothes, and, and I have to admit to you, my fashion sense has just been jacked up from, like, the beginning. Um, what I always did, all the way through high school, I went to my drawer, and see, my mom totally, totally spoiled me. I was the youngest of four kids, and I was way accident kid, you know, and so, um, <laughs> long story. Anyway, they kind of doted on me, and I was spoiled. I was number four. Mom washed my clothes all the time. I would never, nowadays, like I wear, you know, jeans like a week because I figure, you know, I don't do that much in them. If I get them dirty, then I don't wear them every day. But um, back then, I would wear them one day, chunk them in the dirty clothes. They would be washed, folded, and in my drawer the next day. And so I would pull out the drawer. Whatever pair of jeans was on top, I put it on. Whatever shirt was on top, I put that on. That was my fashion sense until I got to Baylor University. And, uh... At Baylor, you know what was, was happening in the, in the early 80s? Polo and Izod. Only, you know, it wasn't good enough just to have it on the tag. You actually had to have the little polo playing dude on there. That was your, that was your badge of honor. And 501 jeans. And one, I had like one polo, because I, I had all kinds of scholarships. The only reason I could go to Baylor. And I had one polo shirt and one pair of 501 jeans. And some girls said, ooh, you look good. I'm like, man, that's all I need. That's that's all I wore from then on uh, was while I was at Baylor. Now, when I became a minister, 
I had to have the professional look. Which in a Baptist church is what? Suit and tie. Suit and tie. Exactly. Suit and tie. So I was poor. I mean, when you're a youth minister and going to college, I barely had enough money to make anything. So I, I, I had hand-me-down suits. I had all of this stuff. And so people throughout the years, I was a youth minister for 19 years, people would feel sorry for me. People with a better fashion sense, you know, maybe in the upper echelons of the fashion world, they would, they would feel sorry for me. I got everything from ties to uh, shoes. This one lady, every six months, she would buy me new shoes just because she felt like I needed, you know, better shoes. And, oh, I just got all kinds of stuff. Finally, this one lady, um, older lady, and, and I'm about the, the age of her son. Her son lives overseas, so she doesn't get to see him very often. She just kind of adopted me and, and my family when we came to Palestine. Well, she calls me one day and says, come over. So I come over. She said, I got a surprise. So I go over there. And there's a friend of her family that's, that's about my size. And he's, he's very well off. And so, like, he never wears his suits very long before he upgrades. Lots of money, you know. And so he's in the, he's in the investment world. And so I guess he's got to look sharp and all this stuff. So I come over there and she says, check this out. And she throws open the closet and there's like eight suits in there. She goes, try them on. And so I said, you're serious? She goes, yeah. And I was grateful to God because even though I only wore my suits, you know, on Sundays, if you wear them on Sundays for like 17 years, they wear out. And one day, I'm not kidding, one day I had on one of my suits, and mine wasn't Itzimo or whatever. Mine was, you know, JCPenney special. But I actually went down to pick up my son, and I ripped from equator to equator. And I'm like, oh, no. And luckily it was after church. And uh, Janie walked behind me. And, you know, I could wear my jacket like a skirt type deal to get back to the car. And so they eventually wear out. So you got you to have some new. I was so grateful to God because I was poor. I couldn't afford any new suits. And so she, she said she would take care of me. And she gave me these suits. Every time he would upgrade, she'd call me and I'd get new suits. I have like all these suits. But now I only wear them, you know, for two occasions. Weddings and funerals. And several of y'all have made a big deal in taking pictures of me at weddings. Dude, we've never seen that, taking a picture, you know. And so, anyway. Now, have you noticed that we humans, we're really into clothing, right? And, and we have our own style, whether we want to admit that or not. And, and we've gotten really specific nowadays about um, fashion. There's casual, which is my favorite. There's business casual. I didn't even know what business casual was until we went on a cruise. And, of course, I forgot um, Janie has all these nice, you know, business casual things because you're supposed to have different theme nights and you've got formal nights. Janie loves formal nights. She loves getting dressed up. How we got hooked up is just a matter of God's sense of humor. Um, but she loves getting dressed up. And, and the last cruise we went on, went with my folks, I completely forgot the business casual stuff. So I, there I am looking like a slob and my wife's looking hot, you know, as we go to dinner every night. And, and uh, it's really funny. We have pictures of that, but we'll show you sometime. But there's all these specific things. There's business casuals. There's formal. You go on a cruise, and like in real life, you can see any type of clothing you want to. There are specialty clothes nowadays. There's biking clothes. There's hunting clothes. There's fishing clothes. There's all kinds of clothes. And back when I was given this suit, this was, this was a really big deal to me. This was, excuse me, I'm showing my lily white skin up there. I got the farmer's stand. Back when I got this suit, this suit was really, really special to me. It was one of my favorites. I got all kinds of uh, compliments on it. And uh, I really liked this suit. No, man, this was cool. Because, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like um, 
It wasn't dark. It was different color. And I had a bunch of dark suits because there's something that says if you're going to do weddings and you're going to do funerals, you got to have, you know, dark suit. So uh, I was just really grateful that um, she gave me a suit. And if you notice that we've in, in America, I don't know if I can find it now. Is that better? Looking hot now. Wait. You know, we've got what not to wear. Have you seen that show? Yeah, this is it. <laughs> what not to wear. We've got the Style Network. Um, we've got Fashion Magazine. And I actually saw a Fashion Magazine this week. And the, the title of the article was, um, wait, I've got to look it up. Banish Wardrobe Boredom. Made me want to buy that uh, magazine right then. But there were ladies buying the magazine. Banish wardrobe boredom. Um, let's, uh, let's look at the Bible and let's see what the Bible has to say about fashion. I'm going to do several verses here, a couple of them on your listening guide. The rest of them will be up on the screen. Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made clothes from animal skins for the man and his wife, and he dressed them. Psalm 139. You made all the delicate innermost parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Luke 2.12 And this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. John 19.2 The soldiers made a crown from some thorny branches and put it on Jesus' head and put a purple robe around him. John 19.23 When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. John 26 and 7. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. You know, this idea of fashion, this idea of clothing didn't start with us. Although we have style network, what not to wear. It goes all the way back to the beginning uh, of the Bible, beginning of God's creation. Adam and Eve started the whole stinking fashion thing. And uh, it goes throughout the Bible. Now, do any of you watch the award shows like the Oscars? You know, stuff like that. Anybody watch those things? I hate them. Janie loves them. I don't give a rip who wins, but <laughs> obviously look at me. It'd be cool to show up on the red carpet like that. You know what the number one question is? When, you come, when the Hollywood stars come to the red carpet, and it's a big deal. Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Because they want to know not just... What kind of dress or whatever outfit? They want to know who the designer is. Who are you wearing? And so I was just I was doing a little bit of research this week and flipping through the Internet, looking at some of the fashion uh, things from the Oscars, from the red carpet. And just some of the um, some of the names Armani, Oscar de la Renta, Versace, Target. I've seen you for listening. Calvin Klein. Um, who are you wearing? That's what I want you to to. to to ask yourself today, who are you wearing? And, and I want to look at three things about who you're wearing because this is a big deal. Number one on your listening guide is God was the first fashion designer. God was the first fashion designer. I would argue not only was He the first, He was the greatest. Because Adam and Eve, you know, when they messed up in the garden, they had a hand-tailored garment from the ultimate designer. Now, I've never heard anybody on the red carpet, who are you wearing? God. Excuse me. 
No, no, really, God, the God who spoke the world into existence, he made my clothes. That'd be kind of cool. Except, you know, they think you're nuts or whatever. But, but that, in Adam and Eve's case, it was true. The God of the universe designed their clothes. Well, why did they need clothes? Well, because they rebelled against God's way. So they cut the thread that was connecting them and God. Now, I want you to think about this. If you have a thread connecting you with the ultimate designer, why in the world would you want to cut that thread? Why would you rebel against that? Well, in Adam and Eve's case, they thought if they cut the thread between them and God, it would lead to freedom. Right? So they rebelled. They, they pulled back and they cut the thread between them and God. And what happened was they crashed. Because think about it. If you've ever um, flown a kite, I heard a story a long time ago about a kite that was actually, you know, had the personality and all that stuff. And, and he was pulling against the string. And he was thinking, if I could only get free from this string, I could really soar. So finally he gets free. And what happens to the kite? Crash to the ground. Why? It is only the tension of that kite being held to an anchor, whether that's a person or being held on something else, the anchor holds firm. The tension against that kite causes it to soar and reach heights that it would never reach on its own. And when the, when the thread is cut, it comes crashing to the ground. Well, that's what happened with Adam and Eve. They cut the thread connecting them with the God of the universe, and they came crashing to earth. And when they did, immediately they realized they were naked. So what did they do? They took out needle and thread, and the Bible tells us that they sewed fig leaves together. Now, this is just how my mind works. I'm thinking leaves, salad. They, they <laughs> take a couple of heads of lettuce and sew it together. How, how permanent are those clothes? Go outside and get some leaves. What do leaves do if you leave them on the ground? That's really how they got the name. You're supposed to leave them on. If you sew them together, how permanent are they? Not. Not, thank you. And I was also thinking, never mind, we won't even go where my mind was going with that. But lettuce, salad, they're wearing these clothes and they're not permanent. And I believe that, um, I really believe that the whole physical nakedness was just an outward symbol of a deeper nakedness. They were naked on a spiritual, emotional, social level, and they knew it, and it scared them. And what did they do? Like a couple of little kids, <laughs> they, uh, they tried to hide their nakedness and hide from God. And now, God could have been like a good old grandpa. See, my dad was, was pretty rough on me, but he's not ever rough on my kids. I'm not even supposed to scold my kids, much less whip my kids, you know, spank them, if my dad is anywhere in the state. Because kids will be kids. And God could have done that. When, when Adam and Eve rebelled and cut the thread, God could have said, Oh, kids will be kids. No big deal. He had the right to say to hell with them. But He didn't do that. And aren't you glad He didn't? Like a loving parent who sees his child mess up and the child is repentant and trying to put the pieces back together, you know, desperately trying to make it... God looked down and saw Adam and Eve desperately trying to put the pieces back together. And he decided to do something for them that they could not do for themselves. He decided to fix what was broken. Why? Why did God do that? Well, second thing. One cut thread matters. One cut thread in your life and mine matters. Sin is a huge deal. Even one sin separates you from a perfect God. The only way for Adam and Eve to hang out with God again was for God to do for them what they couldn't do for them, themselves. 
And, and this is where we had a big discussion in my car on the way home yesterday. Rachel heard a little bit of this and she started asking about stuff and, and Janie was asking questions. Um, to pay for sin, blood has to be spilled. I mean, that's what the Bible says, that, that blood has to be spilled. So someone or something innocent has to die so that Adam and Eve could um, either they had to pay for their own sins or someone or something had to die so that they could be right with God again. So God takes an animal. Was the animal guilty of sin? No, it was an innocent third party. Only the innocent can die in the place of the guilty. Janie and I were talking. I said, babe, I couldn't die for you because I'm guilty of my own sins. You couldn't die for me because you're guilty of your own sins. You would have to, to pay for your sins. You couldn't pay for mine by, by giving your life. Only an innocent third party can do that. And so God took an innocent animal and killed it. And, and I just want you to think about this. The garden was perfect. They had everything they needed. Death did not exist until sin entered the world. And so imagine the first time you see something die. Adam and Eve heard the screams of the animal. They saw it writhing unnaturally as it breathed its last breath. Then they saw the blood spilled. And then God skins the animal and crafts a custom-made garment for Adam and Eve so that they might be covered. Now, God was showing Adam and Eve what he would later write down in the Bible for us in Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And here it is. And sins are forgiven only if blood is poured out. If you read the Old Testament, you'll begin to get a clear picture of the consequences of sin. I believe when Adam and Eve saw that animal die, they never again thought that sin has no consequences. That was part of the lie Satan told them. Go ahead, you can do it. You'll be like God. You won't die. Something did die. And I think they saw it and they realized that sin costs someone or something its blood. But you may say, that's too harsh. What about the grace of God? Well, you got to remember that God is perfect. He's holy. Holy means that he's pure. There is no impurity with God and he's just. He cannot wink at sin and still be pure, uh, uh, pure and holy. He can't overlook sin and be just in God's economy. The way God set it up, the payment for sin is blood. Fast forward to Jesus, born in Bethlehem. And we read the verse just a while ago, and you probably heard it as a child. Mary wrapped him in what kind of clothes? Swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now, let me, let me explain just a, a couple of things to you about this. Back in those days... Now, this is a great weekend to illustrate this because their climate is very similar to our climate. They can get snow during the winter. They can have hot summers. They can have cold winters. Back in their day, when you were traveling, you either walked or you rode a donkey or some type of animal. And, and it took a long time to get places. And so you didn't just, you know, you weren't in a convertible. And if it starts raining or snowing, you pop the top up and, you know, you don't do that. You just have to endure. They didn't have weather forecasters. We knew before we went to Arlington that it was going to be cold. So we took clothes. The weekend before, we didn't know it when that cold front blew in and we froze. We're in shorts, freezing to death. This weekend, we watched TV, paid attention, took clothes, and we were warm. They didn't have that. So what they would do is they would wrap themselves in a shawl uh, to protect themselves from the elements. And then, because it was so harsh back then, many people would die on a trip. 
And so what they would do is this shawl, they'd just wrap them in the shawl. They didn't, they didn't, you know, call the, the funeral home and have them come get them. They would dig a grave, wrap them in the shawl, which would become their death garment, and they would throw them in the grave. I mean, that, that's just how life happened, and then you moved on. Now, when, when Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes, there's a lot of scholars that believe that the swaddling clothes was her shawl. It was something that she would have had with her on a trip. And so she wrapped Jesus up in the swaddling clothes. If that is true, then, then Jesus was in the manger. His first blanket was death clothes, grave clothes. And if that's true, it's very appropriate because Jesus came to die. His whole purpose from, from his birth until his death, his whole purpose was to live a perfect life so he could live for you and, and he could pay for our sins. And, uh, so if he's wearing these, these grave clothes, it's, it's very appropriate picture of what he's going to do with his life. Now, fast forward again to the end of his life. He's been on trial. He's innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent, but he condemned him to die because he was afraid of the people. And when the soldiers began to beat Jesus, before they beat him, they removed his, his garment because they said it was seamless. That's a very important thing. Seamless. And the seamlessness represented an expensive, um, perfect garment. And it was symbolic of Jesus' perfect life. He was sinless. There was no imperfection in him. And so they removed those expen- the expensive garment. And the Bible tells us that they put on um, a purple robe. Purple because that was the color that symbolized royalty. And so they put it on him. They start making fun of him because they don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe he is the one sent to take away the sins of the world. And then right before his death, Jesus says something incredibly interesting. You've heard it. The last words, if you've ever seen one of the, the plays, if you've seen any, any of the stuff on TV, the videos about Jesus, the last thing he says on the cross is what? It is finished. What is finished? I would argue the garment that he wants to give you is finished. And then they laid him in a grave. And he was dead and gone, and everybody, enemy and friend alike, thought that the whole Jesus movement was over. But that wasn't the case. Our hero lives. Watch this video.
wasn't just a good man. He was the son of God. And Abraham Lincoln, good man. Mahatma Gandhi, good man. Martin Luther King, good man. But when they died, they stayed in the grave. They did much good for the cause of humanity. But the one we serve and we worship week after week came back to life. And can you just imagine if you had been there that first Easter Sunday morning? Because everybody thought Jesus was dead. Okay, it's gone. His disciples ran in fear and were hiding, cowering in an upper room with the door locked. And if you had heard that Jesus was alive, I'm willing to bet that you would have done what they all did. No. I've got to see this for myself. And you would have gone to the tomb to check it out. And, you know, all of them did this. And Peter, when he goes to the tomb and he looks in, what did he see? Grave clothes. Because a man who's alive doesn't need dead man's clothes. Earth clothes were no longer appropriate for the Son of God because he was living. He needed some new threads. He had finished the garment and he wants to give that garment to any sin-stained human who will ask for it. So the real meaning of Easter is this. Number three, God offers you new clothes. My question to you is the same. It's the title. Who are you wearing? Who is your designer? If you're wearing anyone other than Christ, you're wearing dead man's clothes. And you don't have to because of what Christ did. Now, I've, I've posed this, this next question to several people this week, and it's funny, their reaction. I've actually, it's kind of comical. I wish I had it on video. Because I, I said, have you ever been someplace that you were seriously underdressed? Everybody that I've asked that one-on-one would go, oh, yes. You know, Janie did that. I mean, it was not just, uh-huh. It was, oh, my goodness. And they were remembering what it was feeling like to be seriously underdressed. Everybody understood that. I was talking to Alex about it, and, and he goes, oh, dude, I got a story for you. You know, Alex is, is not what you would call a cowboy, right? Nobody here would, would say that he's Western. He goes to film a video, uh, a, a rodeo, video rodeo, um, several months ago. And, uh, you know, he's, he's from Argentina and, uh, he has, he has a, a good fashion sense. So nobody there mistook, mistook him for somebody that was in the rodeo. And, uh, they almost didn't let him go down on the dirt of the rodeo arena because he didn't have on a cowboy hat. That's a true story. I was going, really? He goes, yeah, man, I, I don't know. Hispanic guy, no cowboy hat. Can't trust him, you know, um, <laughs> Can't let him down on the dirt. You know, he might mess with the animals. I don't know. I was talking to several folks. I talked to Danae Selman. I posed this question to her, and this is really funny. First time she came, um, she was actually tricked by Alexis. So she brought this up. Alexis is laughing because she remembers it. We were meeting in a, in a uh, computer shop, and this happened to be Lake Day. Coincidentally, it was Lake Day. And so Alexis invites her and, and Jason. They said, she said, hey, y'all want to go to the lake with us? My father-in-law was taking his boat, you know, that type of deal. And it was a sweet boat. That would get just about anybody. Like, and they were like, sure, we'll go. And after they had committed, Alexis goes, well, you got to go to church with us first. And they're like, oh. So, no lie, the first time Danae actually came to our church, she was wearing a bikini. Now, she did have a cover-up on, 
But if you got a bikini and a cover up on and your mind of church. <laughs> oh, until she got there and saw we all had bikinis on and then she's like, OK, I fit in. Um, no, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. That's just such a sight that I shouldn't even have brought up. Um, <laughs> the reason I say that is because I was at Wes's house last night and we were just commenting. Wes in a bikini. Mm. Doug in a bikini. No, we don't want to go there. Um, <laughs> that's hot. Yeah, that's hot. Uh, <laughs> but see, when Danae came, she felt real uneasy until she saw we were all kind of goofy. And then she felt like she fit in. And that's exactly what we do when it comes to fashion. If you've ever been somewhere, because I've gone to conferences, people call, what do you wear? What do you wear? And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you what I'm wearing. When I go to a conference, if it's in the summertime, I'm shorts and tennis shoes and a T-shirt. I don't give a rip what pastor sees me, because that was a big deal in, in, in my family. Got some other pastors and you always had to dress, you know, and I just never have liked that. And so we were wearing shorts. If it's wintertime, I'm still going to be comfortable. I just, I, what are you wearing? But when you get there and you see that everybody else is dressed like you, then, then you think it's okay. Well, here's what we do in the spiritual sense. We take our clothes, our life, and we go, I'm not so bad compared to that scumbag over there. I don't do this, 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 this. Like they do. And we start thinking we're pretty good because we think the comparison is between us and somebody else. But the Bible says the comparison is between us and Christ. And if you've ever been seriously underdressed. That's such a small taste of what it's going to be like to stand before God and say, God, God says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? And you say, because I got all my righteous clothes. Nobody will have any delusions when they stand before a perfect Christ that they can get into heaven on their own merit. And the Bible tells us this in Isaiah 64. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. That doesn't leave a whole lot of room for, for um, comparing, does it? We're all infected and impure with sin. When we put on our prized robes of righteousness, we find they are but filthy rags. Our robes, our clothes aren't good enough to get us into heaven. We put them on, we try to look spiritual, and God sees our true condition. If you have one thread out of place, you will not make it into heaven. And this, I, this is one of the questions I get more than anything else. How can a good God, how can a loving God, a grace-filled God send anyone to hell? And you know what my answer is? He doesn't. If you choose to stand before God based on your righteousness, you have chosen hell. God doesn't send you there. Because he says, here's the standard. God's standard is perfection. And, and he actually does leave the opportunity open for you to live a perfect life. Anybody making it? I'm 42, about to be 43. And, and I just tried one time, you know, if I just did three sins a day <laughs> on a good day. Add them up. Tens of thousands of sin that I've committed, that you've committed. And I don't think when we stand before a perfect Christ, anybody will say, oh, I deserve to get in. What we're going to do is we're going to fall on our face and say, oh, God, have mercy on my soul. That's the way people reacted to Jesus. So God doesn't send them there. They choose to go there. And um, if you're trying to wear anyone other 
than Christ? You know what it is? You're really wearing sin. And because of the resurrection, because our hero lives, you have a choice about what you wear. If we choose to do so, we can admit that our clothes are stained, they're ripped, they're messed up. We can take off our messed up clothes and we can put them at the foot of the cross. The choice is yours. The cross is all about the exchange. You can exchange your filthy rags for the custom-made garment that Jesus offers you. But you've got to put them on. It doesn't happen by osmosis. This is Vito Ruffolo. This is actually my favorite. This, thank you. Doesn't match the shirt very well, but this is the one that I wear to funerals. I like it. No. The choice is yours. Are you going to do the exchange today or not? Because you can walk out of here wearing the same thing you've been wearing. You're either wearing sin or you're wearing the Savior. Easter proves that you matter to God. And when you exchange your garment for Christ's garment, you prove that God matters to you. And you can put Him on today. Here's how. It's real simple. You admit that your clothes are jacked. (laughs) They're messed up. You believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again so that you might have a perfect garment. And then you receive that garment. If you never receive the gift, it does you no good. The gift is offered. So will you make the exchange today? I want you just to bow your heads for a second. And if you would like to exchange your filthy rags for what Christ has to offer, just in your mind, pray this prayer. God, I admit that I am a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I believe that you rose on Easter and you're alive today. I'm choosing to put on Christ at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.